Okay, so here's the thing. Just like we were praying for the little ones, and, you know, there's going to be challenges in life, and as families, there's going to be challenges in life. There are always going to be bumps in the road of your life. I don't think anyone would deny that. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be challenges. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and now it's getting a long way away from me. When I was a youth pastor, I still hang out with the high schoolers, though, on Sunday nights, so it keeps me, keeps me grounded and, and with them. But I was taking a group of junior hires because they were saying, oh, man, we've got to go mountain climbing. Let's go mountain climbing. I'm like, guys, those mountains that we're, you're thinking about, they're, they're fairly large. I've been up them, and I'm not sure you guys are going to really want to do that once you get in. Oh, no, no, you, you don't know. You don't know. We can go mountain climbing. Let's go mountain climbing. So I took a mountain climbing. We got, they, we got halfway up the, not even halfway up the, the mountain, and here the complaints started. Oh, man, my leg, my back, whatever. And it, the, the, the path we chose is too, it's too bumpy. There's too many rocks on this path. Too many bumps. I'm thinking to myself, we're climbing a mountain. What did you think it was going to be like? So about halfway up, they decided, they just stopped. They were finished. It was probably only about that because not everyone wanted to do it. Maybe 10 or 12 students, but they just stopped climbing the mountain. They, they, they wouldn't take one more step. And I won't get into the whole story, but I, had a, I have a herniated disc. And, and one of the things back then, it was worse than it is now. But I recall vividly walking up a mountain with a strap, one of the backpack straps around my head, two or three on my shoulders, a bunch of my, and I was carrying all these backpacks up the hill. I couldn't believe it. I said, I told you. They said, oh, they thought they could make it, but then it got bumpy, right, on the way up. Then there was, it was roadblocks and difficulties, and so they literally wouldn't take another step. We are in a series called Move. What's your next step? What is your next step? A few weeks ago, we were going through the book of Joshua, and we went through Joshua chapter 1. This morning, I want to talk about Joshua chapter 10. I, I, if, you, if you really want to get excited, read the book of Joshua. So here's what, here, I'm going to kind of lay it out. Joshua, it, it, leading up to chapter 10, Israel, the people of God, are going through all kinds of ups and downs all kinds of different challenges. There's all kinds of, if you will, bumps in the road. They went through spiritual highs. They went through spiritual lows. They were really struggling. And, they, and just like us, they, we're going to experience victory sometimes, and we're going to experience defeats, and that's what Israel was going through. As they were at, leading up from chapter 1 to chapter 10, they were experiencing both victories and defeats. There is, they, they got the highs, if you will, in the battle of Jericho. And then there's other battles that went, went on. I.e. was one of them. And those were the low times. So they had the highs and they had the lows. They had the difficulties. They had, they had all these things going on just like we have in our own personal lives. How many times in our lives are there ups and downs? Are there times where you feel you're on a spiritual high? And then times that you feel you're on a spiritual low? Times when you feel like, you know, you can take on the world and times you feel like the world is just actually crushing you. See, the key to all of this is that when you're going through the low times, when you're going, when you're on the mountaintop, it's, it feels great, right? But it's when you're in the valley, that's when you really begin to struggle. And it's during the key to all of this is during the low times, you cannot allow that discouragement to control your life. You cannot allow the lows of your life to begin to control your life. And that's what happens, right? 
We go through ups, we go through downs spiritually, where sometimes we're spiritually on fire, sometimes we're, we're flying high, and other, other times we feel grounded. But when you feel grounded emotionally, when you feel grounded spiritually, you cannot allow those times to dictate the direction of your life. There's a Hebrew word that I've really come to love. It's kadima. Kadima. And it means forward. It means forward. The people of Israel needed to move forward. We, as the body of Christ, we as believers, we as a church, if you will, we need to continue to move forward. That's a word I think that we should have on a T-shirt or something that should be a kind of a theme word going into the new year. Forward. We've got to keep moving forward. Joshua, as we go through this, faced a lot of challenges a lot, of, a lot of things that kept him really busy. For example, he was basically in charge of the northern and southern military campaigns for the people taking the land. God had called them to this land. These battles were fought to purify the land that God had given to them. And listen to me, for very, very good reason. God told the Israelites, before you go into this land, he said, I want you to, he said this over and over and over and over again. Do not get involved with the inhabitants of this land. And you say, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, let me explain why he said, do not get involved. Do not intermingle. Don't, don't have them as part of your, you know, your life because of what was going on. Let me read you in Leviticus chapter 18 and verses 1 through 5. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. They can, remember they came out of Egypt going into the promised land. Where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. Do you must not you must obey the, my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And then there's a mix. You know, we have you know little kids in here too, so I'm not going to read the rest of it. Here's basically what it says. He goes on to describe all of the horrid sexual. I mean, from you think about it, it's it's listed there. This is what the people in this area are doing. This is what the people in this country are doing. Do not get involved. Do not do what they did. Remember, don't do what the Egyptians were doing. Now you're coming to the land of Canaan. You need to drive these people out. Do not get involved in what they're doing from what I just described and get into detail, but also child sacrifice. That's what they were doing, sacrificing their own children. So here you had a nation of people who God had warned and warned and warned, but they continue to do what he, but they shouldn't be doing. They've seen what God can do and continue to behave that way. And God says, you cannot get yourself intermingled with these folks. God is warning them that if they allow this kind of behavior to continue and go unchecked, it would infect the nation and ruin the land. And God is a holy God. God wanted his people to be holy. He wanted them to be like him. I think we can learn a ton from this scripture. I really do, personally. I think we learn so much about, the, about our own lives. As we, meet, as we move forward in our lives, we need to avoid the wrong people and the wrong environment sometimes. We need to, and we, you all know what I'm talking about. 
I'm not saying, you know, don't hang out with people. You know, obviously, we want to be a positive influence on people. The problem is that usually, I used to do this with the, with the high schoolers. I'd say, okay, stand up on that chair. And they stand up on the chair. And I'd grab them and I'd say, is it easier for you to pull me up on that chair or for me to pull you off the chair? And try it and I just pull them. It's really easy to pull someone off a chair. It's very hard to pull someone up. And so it's not wrong for us to be involved with people who we need to kind of try to pull up on the chair sometimes. But you better be strong. You better be strong if you're going to try to pull someone up on that chair. So God is saying you need to be careful of the environment in which you find yourself and the people that you are associating with because they can have a profound effect on your life. Here's one of the dangers and the problems I think that we face as people. And you'll understand this. Um, we can, our, our, we're all expert, counseling experts when it comes to someone else's problem. You ever notice that? We can see danger in other people's lives. We can point out when someone's going down the wrong road, hanging out with the wrong person. You know, you're with a group of friends, and you invite you, you introduce your boyfriend or something like that, and everybody, all your friends are like, after the person's gone, that person, I mean, they were scary. I mean, they're a scare creeper, whatever else. And you're like, no, they're wonderful. I love them. They're fantastic. But your six friends are saying, I'm telling you, Creeperville. And you don't see it in your own... <laughs> You just don't see it in your life. You can, you can see it in other people's lives. You can point out, it's like, it's like, okay, this bush right here is all green, green flowers on it, green, you know, leaves and everything. And it looks over at that one and goes, you know what the problem with that over there? There's too many green leaves on that one. That person has way, you ever notice how many green leaves they have on themselves? But they can't see the green leaves in their own lives, don't you? I, I, the older I get, the more I'm amazed at that. Someone who has completely controlling or someone who's complete they have an anger issue whatever else they can point out the same anger issue in someone else but they can't point it out in themselves we sometimes can't see the danger that we're involved in i I love this illustration it's about a a woman her name is edith and it happened in uh, in darlington maryland edith was visiting she had edith had eight children okay eight children she's visiting a neighbor and she's coming home from the neighbor's house on a Saturday afternoon. And as she's walking across her lawn, anyone who has children knows when it's too quiet, usually what is, is a problem, right? You're like, you know, scream in there, and you're like, stop it, calm down. But then it gets too quiet, you're cooking, you're like, oh, that's so, so nice, silence. And all of a sudden you're like, it's too silent. What are they doing? So she's walking across the lawn, and she's wondering, where are my kids? It's too quiet. And so she walks up to her house, and she's on a, she has a porch, and there's a screen door. And as she walks up, she sees her youngest five in a circle. And they're sitting around, and they're engrossed with something. They are enamored with something in the middle of that circle. And she's wondering, what could that be? And she got closer, a little closer, and finally, as she creeped up, she could see inside the circle. They were playing with five baby skunks. Right? So Edith, being a mom, says, quickly, children, run, run. And each little kid grabbed the skunk and took off. (laughs) What's the problem? Are you okay, skunky? You know what I mean? They each grabbed their skunk and took off. Here's the thing. God tries to point out the dangers in our life. He says, don't go there. Don't hang out with these folks. Unless you're going to be pulling them up on the chair, which is difficult, but be careful. You have to watch out for the dangers. And he points those things out in our lives. And he says, listen to me, run. He says, flee. He says, get out of there. But we may move locations, right? We move locations, but then we take those same people with us. We just grab our skunk and go. (laughs) 
I'm not trying to belittle your friends and call them skunks, but some of them are. And let your friends tell you. They'll tell you which ones. But God says you've got to move. You've got to get away from that environment. And so you have the ability in and of yourself to get out of the environment. But then you take, don't we take our habits with us sometimes? Don't we take our, our, our issues with us? And don't we take those people with us that we really probably sometimes, in all honesty, some people have no desire Okay, to better themselves. They have no desire in their hearts to do what God is calling them to do. And sometimes we just need to say, you know what? I need to leave the environment and I need to leave the skunks behind. Not pick them up and run off with them. God warned his people. He warned his people and he warns us as well. Throughout the Bible, he warns us. Listen to what it says. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Think about this. You have been in situations, whether you went out to a club or you went out hanging out with some friends or you went to a game or whatever the case may be. I'm not talking all these environments have to be terrible, but you've been in situations where, you know, you're a companion of fools will suffer harm. You can see a group of people and you're thinking nothing good is going to come from this. Right. Especially the more they drink and all of a sudden, you know, it's boom. And you see what's going on. Psalm 1 1 reminds us, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In Proverbs 6, 27, it says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer is no, you can't carry fire next to your clothes and their clothes not be burned. If you're going to pick up the skunk, if you're going to live in that environment, if you're going to continue down the road you're going, certain things are going to happen. It's just a biblical fact. It's just a fact in general. I don't need, I don't need a Bible and you don't need a pastor and a Bible to tell you what I'm saying is true. All you need to do is hang around for a little bit in life, grow up a little bit and realize there are environments and situations that are going to lead you in the wrong direction. See, we need to avoid... We need to avoid spending time in the wrong environments. And, we need, when we, and when we do, if you will, we need to avoid it. And, but when we find ourselves, you say, well, you know, I can go to that party or I can go to that place or I can go hang out with these people. I'm strong enough. I know this person does these kinds of things. and I know they're going to do that or whatever else. But I'm strong enough to, to, to overcome that. Okay, sometimes maybe you are. Give yourself enough opportunities and maybe you won't be. Here's what God says to do. When you, fall into those, when you fall into those situations and you mess up, if you will, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. It's called repentance. I know it's not one of those words we use anymore in our 21st century because that's like, oh, we can't talk about that. But I think the problem is that we get ourselves in an environment sometimes and we don't ask God to forgive us. Now, God is a holy God and God is going to respond out of love and sometimes, okay, bring bring punishment into our lives to keep us from you know when a child's running toward the street have you ever heard a parent say ah let him go he's fine (laughs) those cars will miss him don't worry about it and then we get mad at god sometimes when we hear that god is going to respond to some negative thing that we're going to do you see god's not a cosmic killjoy he just knows what the end of that line is he knows what the end of that party he knows what the end of that whatever he knows and so he loves us enough to try to stop us so when we mess up we need to ask god to forgive us and he relents from sending okay his judgment you remember nineveh 
You remember this? Most people remember the story of Jonah, right? Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. Just understand that. And you say, well, how could he hate anybody? If you were at one country and the other country that you're supposed to go to has, has, I mean, mauled you for years. It's like pick the two countries that hate each other the most on the planet Earth right now. All right. You take Iran and Israel, for example. All right. Iran hates Israel. Israel does not have any love loss for Iran because if they got an opportunity, they'd blow them off the face of the earth and they know it. So go back a few thousand years and that's what you have. So God says, I want you to go to the Ninevites. They are really doing all kinds of nasty stuff. I want you to go and I want you to tell them, stop doing that. I want you to repent. So Jonah's like, I'd rather not do that at all. Or these people just get wiped out and the whole story gets thrown at the boat and blah, blah, spit up on, the, on land by the great fish. He goes in there and basically because he can't stand their guts, he's going to do what God tells him to do. He goes, hey, don't do that anymore. He walks away. Basically, it's what he did. That's his, he's a prophet. He walks in. Here comes a speech. Quit doing that. That's basically what he did. Go read it. And I, those are the exact words, but that's basically what he did. What happens? The Ninevites, lo and behold, they say they get in sackcloth and ashes and they basically repent. And God doesn't send a calamity on them. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says this, But, Jonah, but, but to, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when we were still at home? That is what I tried to foretell. That's why I tried to forestall by, by fleeing to Tarshish. He didn't want to go. I knew that this is the point I want you to get. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better me to die than to live. He's ticked off. He has a bad attitude. And I used to think, what a, what a, he's a jerk. I can't believe he had that attitude. But when you understand the whole context, you understand why he had the attitude. It's still not good, but you at least understand it. When God destroyed, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, at the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, that would be a warning. That should have been a warning to some of these nations and an opportunity, not just a warning, but an opportunity. Nineveh took God up on it, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah should have been a warning and also an opportunity to stop doing what they were doing. But they chose not to. See, if you continue to choose the way you're going, God's judgment will fall on you. It just will because, because you refuse to stop doing the evil that you're doing. Stop doing what that is harmful to other people. God will respond to that. See, we need to remember that's just... But here's something else we need to remember. Because people read the Old Testament, they say, well, how could God... I can't believe God said to wipe all those people and get them out of that land. Um, you didn't read the beginning because in most cases, in uh, cases I know, God calls those people to repentance. In some cases, for 400 years, longer than this country's been around, God told them, stop doing this, repent, 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 repent. And instead of going in this direction, they go in this direction and they come to where they're, they're basically sacrificing their children and getting to every devious kind of thing you can possibly imagine. And then God says, you cannot interact with these people. You're going to be pulled down from the chair, if you will. The same God who says what I just described to you is the same God who sent his son Jesus Christ into the world so that we would have, we would understand the gospel and that we could have a personal relationship with him. God does what he does out of love. God does what he does out of a love for us. God cannot 
allow sin. He cannot allow it because sin destroys people's lives. And he cannot allow the sin that destroys people's lives to go unpunished because that will just bring about more and more and more and more horror. God knows it. We don't. We have a finite mind. God has an infinite mind. And that's why God's telling them to do what he's telling them to do. See, on our own spiritual journey in life, we need to confess what we're doing wrong when God brings it to our attention. When God, like Nineveh, when God brings it to our attention, we need to do what they did. Ask for forgiveness and God will forgive us. Remember last week, this is really, this is something you want to write down because it's really helpful. Because people say, I don't understand the will of God. I understand why God does this. We talked about the difference between right and wrong decisions and right and left decisions. Right and wrong decisions are easy for us to understand the will of God. It's pretty much spelled out in the Bible. A right and wrong decision. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do that? A right and wrong decision is basically spelled out. A right and left decision, not so much. It is easy to understand God's will in right and wrong decisions. It's less, it's not as easy to understand God's will in a right and left decision. Here, and here's the thing. Say you want to just, uh, we talked about this last week. We're trying to decide what university to go to. That's a right and left decision, not a right and wrong decision. Should I go to Ohio State or should I go to Miami University? Okay. You say, well, I don't know God's will, so I'm just going to not do anything. No, it's okay to go to Miami University. It's okay to go to Ohio State. Just live within what God is calling you to do while you're at either one of those universities. Does that make sense? Here's, here's where, and I'm talking to, I'm talking to the people who are, uh, who are consistent members of a church. Okay, I'm, gonna talk, I'm talking to Christians, the believers in Jesus Christ. So take a deep breath, but I just need to talk to some people who are more, I'm going to say people who are consistently in church all the time. The problem is, Because we don't know our Bibles, we confuse right and wrong decisions with right and left decisions. Because we don't know them. We don't know what the Bible says about foul language. We don't know what the Bible says about, getting, about drunkenness. There's a difference between having a drink and getting totally wasted. We don't know what the Bible says about um, sexual beha- all the different sexual behavior that goes on around us. We don't know what the Bible says about lying. And so we think those decisions are right and left decisions. They're not. There are right and wrong decisions, but we get confused by that. There are not, those are not right and left decisions. Those are right and long, wrong decisions. The only thing, we don't know the difference because we don't know this. If we understood this, we wouldn't be as confused. What does God want me to do and how does God want me to do it? He's, he's laid out 90% of what you need to know in a sense of what is the will of God but then you have the right and left decisions and you have to depend on, and we talked about it last week, get the tape from last week and I'll, and I'll explain it to you. But here's the thing. I think that people love Jesus, but I don't think that people truly understand what it means to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. People understand going, being religious, going to church sometimes. People understand rituals. People don't understand what it means to conform, to be like Christ every day. Try to be more, try to be more like him every single day. People don't understand what it means to that how, how, how much God wants us to be holy. God's desire for his people in Joshua is what he's talking about. I want you to be holy. I want you to purify the land. I don't want you intermingling because you're not going to be holy. We don't understand that. What I hear as a pastor most often is God wants me to be happy. We talk a lot about being happy. We talk very little about being holy. Read your Bible and see how much God talks about being holy as opposed to being happy. Happiness is a feeling. I'm happy right now because I'm talking to all of you. Maybe you are not happy right now because some of the things I just said, but I'm still happy to be here with you, okay? If I leave here in my little truck, my little red truck, and someone hits it and smashes into it, I'm no longer happy because my emotions have changed. 
God wants us to be holy. If in being holy, we are happy, fan-stinking-tastic, okay? But we really need to be focused on what is God calling us to do. If you live the life that God calls you to live, here's the thing. You'll fulfill your purpose. You will fulfill the purpose for which you were designed and created. That will, make you, that will give you peace. That will give you joy. That will give you contentment. And you will be happy. If you don't, then you'll be happy up and down depending on your circumstances. True happiness, true joy, true contentment, and true peace don't come from your circumstances. They're not external. They're internal. And they come from God and knowing you're doing the will of God in your life. And that's what God wanted for all these people. Just as Joshua was relentless, Joshua was relentless in trying to purify the land, we need to be relentless in trying to, to grow in our faith and mature in our faith. That's what God wants for us. But before we can move forward, we're talking, this whole series is called Move Forward. Forward, move, it's called move. Before we can move forward, we need to know what moving forward actually looks like. Moving forward in in our lives, we need to make sure that we are not just business as usual. We can't have this business as usual attitude as individuals and as a church. We can't just go along for the ride. There needs to be more than that if we're going to move forward. It means we cannot rest on our past victories nor be paralyzed by our, by our past defeats. There are things in our lives that went really well. You can't rest on those things. If you're going to move forward, okay, that was great. Use it to move forward. If you've been, if you've been defeated in the past, you cannot allow those fears to paralyze you for the future, what God has for you. So many of you are completely paralyzed by something that someone did to you in the past or something that happened in your past. I know it's difficult. We need to pray about it. I love you. I'll pray over you. I'll give my life to help you. But here's the thing. You cannot allow someone else's choices to dictate your destiny god is saying we need to move forward even using even using those difficult circumstances god can can take anything god can bring beauty out of the ashes regardless of what you went through all things can work together for good for those who love god who've been called according to his purpose god can take the worst of circumstances and turn them into the best of circumstances that's what he does that's why he's so amazing and he wants us to do those things. So how do we make this happen? How can we continue to move forward? Joshua gives us, Joshua gives us three things, three lessons that we can learn. I'm going to go through these quickly. Three things that we can learn. First, first, Joshua, okay, Joshua was, it's, I'm going to basically in, in verse five, we find Joshua at, um, at Gilgal in the land of Gibeon. So he's there. While he's there, five of the neighboring kings raise up and they're going to attack and try to destroy Israel. So those are the circumstances. Joshua is at Gilgal, a place of prayer. So the first thing we need to do, the first lesson we can learn is that we need to be spending time with God in prayer. We need to spend time with him in prayer. In Joshua chapter 10, 6 through 8, it says the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us so joshua marched up from gilgal with his entire army including all his best fighting men the lord said to joshua do not be afraid of them i have given them into your hand not one of them will be able to withstand you so god he's joshua spends time with god he's praying he's investing in god god gives him clear direction god gives him tells him exactly what to do 
Gilgal is a place of prayer. Gilgal was a place where Joshua, where God gave Joshua instruction. You want instruction for your life? Your life's not going the way you planned it. Your life's not going the way you wanted it to go. Maybe it's time to spend some time in Gilgal. Maybe it's time to spend some time in prayer and allow God to direct your life. Joshua understood that he was not going to be able to move forward and accomplish all that God had for him without getting clear direction from his God. Joshua understood that. Joshua understood all of that. And because Joshua had humility and because Joshua was willing to follow God, God said to Joshua, none of these kings, these five kings, they will not be able to stand up against you. You will have victory in your life. Because you followed my will because you're doing what I've asked you to do. Grace Chapel will not fulfill all that God has for us, nor will you as an individual until we realize we need to spend time with God, getting direction from God on what God will, his will is for our lives. The Bible basically says that if you listen to God, if you, if you, God will bless those, it says, who seek his face. We need to seek his face. God will bless those who seek his face. That's number one. Number two. Number two. Moving forward, if we're going to move forward, we need to put the effort in. Okay, you sound, that sounds like, wait, wait a second. You're saying first just pray and then, no. They go together. Verse nine says this. After an all night, listen, after an all night march to Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. His victory... Okay, his victory was not a simple, just simply he prayed and then God just wiped everybody out. It didn't didn't happen that way. It didn't. That's not how it happened. Following his time of prayer and petition to God, Joshua, then after God had given him direction, think about this for your own life. You spend time with God. God gives you direction. And then he marched all night. Okay, in order to claim the victory that God had promised to him. He was going to claim his victory. He was moving forward. He put in the effort. He extended tremendous effort. He marched his entire army all night long. We need to make sure, listen, that we don't miss this, the two, two together. Joshua was not victorious because of his own strength and how amazing he was and what a great fighter he was and how many big his army was. He won the battle because he spent time with God and God gave him direction. But once God gave him direction, Joshua put in the effort. He didn't just pray to God and then sit back and expect everything just to all work out for him. God gave him direction and then he took that direction. Victory for the Christian. Victory for the Christian comes when we depend on God in prayer and then we prepare ourselves to put in the effort. God gives you the power to do it. God gives you the direction. God gives you what you need. And then he says, go and do what I've called you to do. The third lesson we can learn here is that we listen to me. Come to church for the first time in your life. You need to anticipate that God is going to do something miraculous in your life. I dare you. I dare you on this one. I know there's a God, and I know who that God is, and I know God can work in every single one of your lives. You need to pray. Then you need to make sure that when you pray and got direction that you're going to move forward. And then in moving forward, you need to anticipate that God is going to do something miraculous. Verses 12 through 14. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of all Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, 
The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. I'm not going to get into this, but they've actually done studies and a day, a day is actually missing. Go back and check this out. This stuff is absolutely amazing. So as Joshua's running out of, out of sunlight, okay, to fight this battle, God prolongs his day and shortens the night. Now think about that in your own life. Wouldn't it be great if God would prolong your day, bring light to your day? And then sometimes, honestly, we need God to shorten those nights, right? I mean, life is hard. It's challenging. And God will shorten the night. That's what he did. See, if God is for us, my friends, who can be against us? The same God who delivered his people, the same God who protected his people, the same God who fought with his people will fight for you. The same God who parted the sea and rescued his people can rescue every single one of us from the troubles that we face in our lives. Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship with a living God who interacts with us on a regular basis that we can pray to, we can talk to, and who responds to our prayers. God, the same God who parted the sea and rescued his people can rescue you. You are sitting here right now and there's something really on your heart. You're being overwhelmed by it. You don't know how to handle it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a magic prayer. I haven't used this in a long time. But I'm going to tell you a magic prayer. I get, in myself, I get myself in a situation sometimes where I have no way out. I, don't, I cannot figure out how to handle it. I don't know what else to do. And I pray this prayer. And you can write it down. You know what I pray? It's powerful. You want to forget it. Do something. That's my prayer. Do, do something. I don't know. Because I, I can't even think of what to pray. I just say do something. You know what? He always does something. Something I could have never imagined how that person ever come and say this and that and all were. It's incredible. God can deliver us. He can do it for you. He can do it for me. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, he says, through his power, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. You think your past dominates your life. You, you think that, you think, listen to me, you think environment and you think genetics are basically the dominant factors in your life. They are in some ways. But you know what dominates genetics and environment? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God dominates genetics and dominates environments and dominates the past. If you allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life, if you allow the, the power, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead that you have access to, if you allow that to rule your life, genetics and environment mean nothing. You are not, you are not controlled just because your grandfather and your great grandfather and your father and whatever else was a whatever else doesn't mean you're going to be. You have a, oh, you have a tendency to, I have a tendency to follow after Jesus Christ and let him be Lord of my life. That's what I have a tendency to do. And through the power and the spirit of of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the resurrection, that is what dominates and dictates the, the destiny of my life and yours as well. If you will follow what he's called you to do. We serve a God who brings light to our day and shortens the darkness. We serve that God. My friends, we need to move forward. We need to move forward in faith. You may have come to church for the first time in your entire life. I don't know this morning, but I'm inviting you back because the same things we're talking about here this morning, but maybe just kind of little, little fire in you and you say, man, that makes a little bit of sense. You need to continue to walk down that road. You need to move forward. You need first off to spend time in Gilgal, which means spending time in prayer. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to ask God to change your heart. You need to ask God to change the country. You need to ask God to change the world. You need to ask God. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to ask God to give you the boldness to do the things that you're afraid to do. 
then when God, when you spend time in God in prayer, you need to extend the effort. You've spent time with God. He's called you to do. He's told you what to do. He said, don't let fear stop you from doing what I'm calling you to do. I want you to have zeal. I want you to have passion. I want you to live your life with zeal and passion and not with fear. I want you to overcome that. Why? Through the spirit of God, the power I will give you overcomes fear. So once you pray, then you need to extend the effort. After you've extended the effort, you said, God, here's what I want you to do in my life. Please do this for me. God, I need you to intervene in my life and help me in this area. You need to believe that God's going to do that. And then you need to do the last thing. You need to anticipate that God is going to do something miraculous. That God is not, not going to only do what you ask him to do. He said he'll do immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. He can do something miraculous that you haven't even thought of. He'll do more than you've even asked or imagined. But we sit around like some kind of, oh, I'm religious. And we, I went through my whatever and I've done this. That's not God who's saying, hey, be bold. Have some zeal. Ask me for something. Now, God's going to do it according to his will. You can ask him for a million dollars this morning. And he's not going to give you a million dollars at night unless it's part of his will. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to finagle around. I'm just saying you can't ask for things and expect God just to be like the, you know, the candy man and give out stuff. And, you know, you've seen those movies, Bruce Almighty, right? He pushes yes for everything and the whole world goes to heck in a handbasket, right? God loves us too much for that. But you ask him, you ask him from boldness to overcome your fear, to overcome your past. He's going to give you that boldness to overcome your fear and overcome your past. We need to anticipate miracles. We need to, we need to pray. We need to extend the effort and we need to expect God to do something miraculous in our lives. Bow your heads with me. God, thank you so much for this awesome time that we can spend together, for dedicating children, Lord, giving them to you. And this is what we're dedicating them to a life of boldness, a life without fear, a life where other people don't dictate our destiny, regardless of what they've inflicted upon us. You are stronger. Your grace is stronger than their sin. And Father, I pray with all of my heart for every single person here on my knees, Lord God, with my hands raised over every single one of them. I pray, dear God, that you would, you would, you would inspire about you because once that curiosity comes out your spirit will draw them into your presence they will be not religious they will have a relationship with you lord god and so we pray that we would be in prayer with you on a regular basis we pray that we would extend the effort once you tell us what to do that we would extend the effort to accomplish it even if it means we have to march all day and all night to get there And finally, Lord, when we get there, to anticipate, to thank you in advance for the miracle you're going to do in our lives because we know, we know by faith that you're going to do it. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a fantastic week.